Hello, thank you for joining us on Cornerstone College Ministries Podcast. I am Blake Brown. I am the college pastor at Stillwater Bible Church. You're joining us for our study of Nehemiah. We're going to take a look at Nehemiah and trusting God and being diligent to serve Him regardless of the circumstances. I hope you enjoy as we dig in. Okay. We're today going to look at Nehemiah's um, plea or prayer and his plea. So um, his prayer to ask God to hear him and let him go back to the land. And this plea to the king is the same thing, right? To go back to the land. Um, so uh, what we're looking at right now is to see how he does it, right? We're going to look at, see, not just, okay, he prayed, cool, let's go on. But how does he pray? What are the things he brings to God? Why is his prayer like seven verses instead of one verse where he's like, hey, God, uh, give me to Jerusalem. Thanks, bye. Right? Why doesn't he actually have more there? Um, so uh, I'm going to read the, the passage. I'm not going to read the whole passage this morning. I'm just going to read part of it. Um, but we're going to look at just the prayer, and then we'll go forward. So I'm going to look at the first, um, oh, the, the rest of chapter 1. So if you look at Nehemiah 1, 5 through 11. I said, I beseech you, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who preserves the covenant and loving kindnesses for those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear now be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant, which I am praying before you now, day and night, on behalf of the sons of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the sons of Israel, which we have sinned against you. I and my father's house have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, nor the statutes, nor the ordinances which you commanded your servant Moses. Remember the word which you commanded your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though uh, those whom you have been scattered were in the most remote part of the heavens, I will gather them from there and will bring them to the place where I have chosen to cause my name to dwell. They are your servants and your people whom you redeemed by your great power and your strong hand. O Lord, I beseech you, may your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to revere your name. And make your servant successful today and grant him compassion for this man. Now I was a cupbearer to the king. Let's pray. God, uh, we thank you this morning just for your word, for how great it is, for how powerful it is. I pray as we go through that uh, you would just be speaking, that you would um, be able to come through clearly in what your message is for um, each and every one of us who be encouraged or convicted as needed. Um, I pray all this in your son's name. Amen. Um, Rachel, could you go get this off of the printer? That would be greatly appreciated. Um, All right. So last week we looked at the first few verses. I looked at only four verses. And Nehemiah is in the winter capital of Babylon. It's in Susa, which is uh, the winter capital, under King Artaxerxes. Um, if you don't have one of the little things back there that have like, the timeline, um, we're going to look at that quite a bit. Um, so you can grab one of those. Um, his brother came, right? His brother Hananiah came to Nehemiah, and, and Nehemiah asked him, how is Jerusalem doing? Right? Hey, how's Jerusalem? What's going on with that? It's going all right? And was the news good or bad? It was pretty bad, right? It's like it's still a bad thing. The city's in ruins, and the people are a reproach. So no one likes the... the it's like, it just seems like it's just that. Right. <laughs> basically, uh, about, about the, the people who were in Jerusalem. And why, we kind of mentioned this, but the reason why he's in Babylon, the reason why Jerusalem was destroyed, is the people had an agreement with God, and they broke that agreement. Right? They had a covenant. It was bilateral, which means conditional. That was like, hey, if you follow these things, I'll bless you. If you don't follow them, then I'll curse you. People are like, we're going to follow them. And then they didn't. 
right? So therefore they were cursed, just like God said um, would happen. What God told them would happen, um, happened, and they were conquered and taken over. So here's kind of the timeline. Um, whoop, okay, nope, there's that thing. It's about the covenant with God. Here's the timeline. The Babylonians came in. They took over Israel, right, 586. Remember, this goes backwards because it's B.C. Um, 586, they came in. They destroyed Jerusalem. Um, this is Nebuchadnezzar, right? Uh, Daniel was kind of a prophet, and he was a advisor to the kings throughout this kind of whole time here. Um, and they were in there for 70 years, and 70 years later, they, temp- they completed the temple. Um, after Babylon came in and took over, Persia came and took over Babylon. And for some reason... Cyrus of Persia was like, uh, Jews, you can go home. And it's kind of funny how God said it would be 70 years. Remember, we looked in Jeremiah 29, 10, and 11. Uh, God said it would be 70 years, and it was 70 years. Um, so then we see um, they rebuilt the temple, and then it's a long kind of time later, and Nehemiah is then approached by his brother who comes in, and um, his, let's see, um, his brother, okay, now i got to rearrange again, so I'm sorry. Um, his brother came, and he's like, hey. And then he's like, yo, how's it going? And he says, it's not going well. And so it's been a long time. Like The temple's been rebuilt for a while. They've been doing sacrifices for a while. But the city is still in ruins, and the city is still not doing well. Um, so... Um, what we're going to see today is that he's going to go and try to rebuild the temple here. You notice there's a little Daniel 20, uh, 9, 25 here. Um, did you know that actually him rebuilding the temple and this decree that the king gives Nehemiah was prophesied about? And you actually look back in Daniel 20, or 9, 25, you can see that. We are not going to have time today to go over that, but come back at 3 p.m. during study cafe, and I'll be explaining it. So if you want um, to come back and if you're curious about what that's talking about, then I'll be explaining that then. Um, what this shows us, right, all these things, is that God keeps his promises, right? God keeps his promises. He was faithful um, to his end of the covenant with the Israelites, right? He said, hey, if you follow this, I'll bless you. If you don't, I'll curse you. They didn't follow it. He's like, okay, here we go, right? After many, 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 many times about the covenant, he finally was like, okay, this is it. Like, you've gone too far at this point. Um, so he said he was going to do. He said it would be 70 years. It was 70 years until he brought him back. And we're going to see one more instance this morning, um, or actually this afternoon if you come, where God's, what he says is going to happen does happen. This happens um, under the king Artaxerxes, right, which is really way down here. Um, and uh, this Daniel 9.25 thing was written in the first year of Darius. So here's an 80-year gap from whenever um, Nehemiah goes and this is happening between when it was written about and said. Um, so they're taken from Jerusalem, which is way over, if you can read this at all. Jerusalem's over here. They're in Susa, or Sushan, um, Shushan, over here. Uh, this is the winter capital, and this is the summer capital. Why do they, why was this the winter, this is summer? Why do geese fly? Temperature, right? Yeah. Um, it was probably warmer down in the south during the winter, and it was a little cooler in the north during the summer. So, so they did. They were pretty extra. Um, what they want us to think about um, is sometime, maybe, anyone here ever go to a church camp? Right? Or anyone here go to, maybe you got really excited about something for a little bit, 
about after church camp, right? You're like, I am so sad. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna. Be, I'm gonna like. I'm gonna do everything I can. I'm gonna share the gospel with all my friends. I'm gonna do all these great things. It's gonna be amazing, right? And then a few weeks go by, and how do you feel? Yeah. About back to normal, right? Kind of a church camp high. Anyone ever been excited about something really strongly about it? And then a month or so goes by, and you're just like, nah, yeah, that was kind of a little bit of a phase, right? Just kind of stopped. Um, it could be with any sorts of things, right? Maybe you're like, I'm gonna be a firefighter. And then you realize what you have to do to be a firefighter, and you're like, hmm, maybe not, right? <laughs> I don't know. Um, but uh, we say all these things, and maybe we feel like even God wants us to do certain things, or we think that he does, and then our desire just kind of stops, right? It kind of fades, and we're just like, oh, that was just an emotional high, maybe, something that we were going on. We, we don't even know what it was, but it was just something that just kind of was there for a bit, and then it kind of faded away. But the point is, how do we respond when we have those emotions, right? Where we have those, those feelings um, when we're like on fire and ready for this certain thing, or we're excited about this certain thing. How do we respond? We're going to see Nehemiah feels very, very strongly about Jerusalem, about the issue and the state that it's in, and he turns to God about it. Right? And he prays for a long time, and his fire never goes away. And so he ends up being sure that this is exactly what God wants him to do, because he's always in prayer about it for a long time. It's okay to be uh, a long time before something actually comes to fruition. In fact, it's common for God to call someone to do something and then have a period of waiting before they get a chance to actually do the thing. Um, So let's see how Nehemiah handles the situation. We're going to see that God is faithful to keep his promises. Nehemiah is always turning to God in prayer, and we'll even see that there's some opposition to this work that God is doing through Nehemiah. So let's let's go in. Look at uh, Nehemiah 1.5. I said, um, this is Nehemiah praying to God, I beseech you, or I just talk to you, ask you, O Lord God of heaven, and the great and awesome God who preserves the covenant and loving kindness for those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear now be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant, which I am praying before you now, day and night, on behalf of the sons of Israel, your servants. So he starts out by praising God. The very first thing he does, right? I ask you, Lord of heaven, and then list these amazing things about God. Um, the great and awesome God who preserves the covenant, loving kindness of those who love him. Um, anybody have Lord in all caps in their Bible? Anybody know what that means? It's Yahweh, right? It's, it's God's personal name. Um, so in, in the Hebrew, which is written in, God's personal name is Yahweh. And we see, in the, if you have it in your Bible, mine's already got NASB. Some other translations do it as well. You see it in all caps. That's whenever it's God's personal name, Yahweh, Y-H-W-H. So you, Yahweh, God of heaven, um, the uh, great awesome God, he goes on. Um, so remember, um, Lord, I'm putting this up there just so you remember. Lord, all caps, equals Y-H-W-H. Um, continues and says, you preserve the covenant. Um, who broke the covenant between Israel and God? Only Israel, right? God actually kept his covenant between them, like we talked about already. He got up his end of the deal. He blessed them when they followed and cursed them when they worshipped other gods. Um, you might think it's just a small deal to worship other gods, right? Okay, just worship the other gods. It's totally fine. The other gods they were worshipping were not things to worship. Well, first of all, they weren't even gods, right? They were just idols that they built. But they, the way they worshipped them a lot of times was by human sacrifice. Um, so it wasn't good things that were going on. A lot of times it was also infant sacrifice. So they have a baby, and then they would like put it and burn it alive as their worship to this other God. So you can see why God was a little upset um, with these people. And um, 
God preserves his loving kindness, it says. This loving kindness is the word hesed in the Hebrew um, here. It's God's um, faithful love to Israel. He says he does it for those who love him and keep his commandments. That's interesting. Who preserves the covenant and loving kindness is for those who love him and keep his commandments. It was a conditional covenant, right? They had to follow those certain laws in order to be within um, the blessings of the covenant. That kind of parallels to our Christian life, right? Isn't there a verse, something like, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments? Right? Um, he just talks about this. He's talking to believers, to the disciples, when he says this. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. John 14, 15. We can only do this after we're saved, right? I mean, we can only keep his commandments if we have the Holy Spirit. We have our faith in Christ for eternal life. And then our goal is that we keep his commandments. Not to keep our salvation, right? Salvation is a gift, not by works. We already looked at that. Um, but because we love him. What commandments is this? Is this, is this the uh, 613 commandments Nehemiah was under? No? No? Um, thankfully, we can eat bacon. Um, he could not. Um, but, right, so there's 613 commandments that Nehemiah was under, the Mosaic Law, is what it's called. But we are no longer under the Mosaic Law. We're under what's called the Law of Liberty. Uh, in the New Testament, we see two of the biggest commandments. What are they? Love God, love others. The greatest commandment. Um, there's a, uh, it's basically they're like, hey, what's the greatest commandment? And it's like, well, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself, right? So those two are the biggest things. Under these two things um, uh, come the entire law and prophets. The entire Bible is built on these two things. If you love God and love others. Another commandment we have is to love each other as Christ loved us, right? In John 13, 35, I think. Sacrificially. That's how Christ loved us. Consider others more important than yourselves. These are called the law of liberty in the New Testament. If you see that when you're reading through the Bible, this is kind of what it's talking about, the law of liberty. Um, So we see here that God told them what would happen if they keep or if they break God's commandments. And we see that they end up breaking his commandments pretty bad. And this is where they're at. They're stuck with Jerusalem in ruins. And um, they've sinned and done all these bad things. So then Nehemiah asks God to hear the prayer that he's saying day and night on behalf of Israel. Really, he's asking God to hear him and answer, right? Not just like, hear me and not do anything. He wants him to actually answer him. Um, we know that God knows everything and he hears the prayer, but Nehemiah has a request. So look, look back at um, whatever this verse is. It says, confessing the sins of the sons of Israel, which we have sinned against you. I and my father's house have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, nor the statutes, nor the ordinances, which you commanded your servant Moses. Nehemiah confesses they've sinned against God. He confesses both his father's sins and his own. That's interesting, right? Um, this is the captivity. Did, did Nehemiah, was he at fault for the captivity? No. Was he even alive? Like, I mean, uh, boy, I can't see. If you have a little note card, you're like, uh, Nehemiah, no, right? <laughs> he wasn't alive at that point. Um, in fact, God has said that the father's sins, they will not punish the children for the father's sins, Right? Deuteronomy 24, 16 says, Fathers shall not be put to death for their sons, nor the sons be put to death for their fathers. Everyone shall be put to death for his own sin. Right? So you can't just pass down the sin to someone else. Right? If it ends up where your father is a serial killer, right? hopefully not. Um, they're not like, you're a son, kill him! Right? Or you're a daughter, kill him! Right? That's hopefully not what people do. That's not how, that's not how justice works. Right? And actually God commands that in his law 
not to do that. But then we have this verse 2. Exodus 34, 6 and 7. And the Lord passed by in front of him, in front of Moses, and the Lord said, The Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in loving kindness and truth, who keeps his loving kindness for thousands, forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin. Yet, he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and on the grandchildren and the third and fourth generations. So what's going on here? Well, here's what we have. Deuteronomy 24 is a command for people. It's a law for man to uphold. Exodus 34 is the nature of God. God is the one doing this. God's judgments are a lot more just than ours, don't you think? If you have a brand new car and someone keys your car up, you're going to want to do more than just key their car up, right? You're going to do a lot more than that to them. It won't be a just, like, like uh, one-for-one ratio. But God is just. Um, also, we don't sit in a bubble, and it affects others. Here's an example. Um, say you have a kid, just a couple years old. Um, and I'll also be like, well, I can't go that far. I have, like, finals before then. Um, but say you have a kid, uh, just a few years old, and then you murder someone in cold blood. Right? What's going to happen to you? probably going to jail, right? Um, maybe death sentence, right? I mean, who knows? All these things. Um, it, <laughs> ultimately, um, your kid's going to grow up without you, right? And your kid is going to face the consequences of your own sin. Now, you, like, he's not going to have the same verdict as you do. They're not going to go to jail because you merged someone. But there's going to be consequences that affect your children um, or whoever your descendants are like that if you have sin. That's just the consequence of sin. So it's what happens, right? And so the fathers of Nehemiah, the ancestors, had sinned terribly. And it plunged the rest of their children into this captivity. Right? That's just the consequence of what happened. And God is just in his, in his discipline, right? And ultimately, God's discipline that may affect generations is all done to turn someone back to him or to turn a group of people back to him. And after this captivity, um, you know how many times Old Testament that Israel like did not do well? Anybody can count? Anybody counted before? Can anybody count that high? <laughs> right, no. Right, there's so many times they just messed up and went after other gods, all the other things. Um, after Nehemiah comes back and they set this all up, how many times did Israel go and worship multiple gods? Not really at all. In fact, this captivity, these 70 years, they didn't really worship, like, they were like, okay, I'm going to worship, like, the Lord Yahweh. Now, they got a little legalistic. You see some Pharisees that come up and Sadducees and stuff. But they were pretty consistent to worship God alone and not um, sacrifice these false idols. Nehemiah, by the way, is also right towards the very end of the timeline of the Old Testament. Um, it's like in the middle of your Old Testament, but really it's like actually towards the end. Um, so, Yeah. Anyways, Nehemiah is still affecting, uh, is still feeling the effects of his father's sins, and Jerusalem is still in ruins because of the sins of his ancestors. Does that make sense? See that? Okay. But Nehemiah also is clearly not blameless in his own life either. He does not kept the law as God commanded. Right? He says, "I and my fathers have sinned." Now let me ask you this: Could Nehemiah have kept the law 100% perfectly? No. Well, what was law for? Yeah, right? To show, one, God's perfection, 
to show they couldn't be perfect, that they um, need a savior to save them from their imperfection, and to show that they need to rely on God for that. That's the purpose. The purpose of the law wasn't if you're good enough and do all these things, then you'll be saved, right? Because they couldn't do all the things. There's 613 commandments. I can't keep up with the 10 commandments, right? And there's 603 more. Um, so what we see also is Abraham was before the Lord was a law. And look what it said about him. It says, then Abraham, he believed in the Lord and he was reckoned, or he reckoned to him as righteousness, right? He was declared righteous or justified, was seen righteous in God's eyes, which is what we do when we place our faith in him, because he believed in the Lord. Not because he followed the Mosaic law, because there was no Mosaic law, right? Moses wasn't even born, even close to being born yet, right? Um, so, righteousness did not come through the law, but through believing in God. People were saved in the Old Testament the same as they are now, by believing in God. Nehemiah admits he sinned, and he says his answers have sinned as well. Look at Nehemiah 1.8. Remember the word which you commanded your servant Moses, saying, If you're unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. So God did what he said he was going to do. He says, remember, which God didn't forget. But it's like, hey, listen, here's what you were right and what you've done. You said you'd do this. It happened. They were conquered by Babylon and scattered along. Verse 9, But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though uh, those of you who have been scattered were in the most remote part of the heavens, I will gather them from there and will bring them to a place where I have chosen to cause my name to dwell. They're your servants and your people whom you redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. But also, God, you told us that if we would turn to you, you'd bring us back. Right? And he even says it doesn't matter where you go. You could be on Mars. And God's like, I'm still bringing you back. Right? So good luck, Elon Musk. Right? Uh, <laughs> um, I'll bring you back from where I scattered you. It's, it's going to happen. Um, and it says, I'll bring you back to the place where I chose my name to dwell. Where is that at? It's a wild guess, anyone? Jerusalem. Jerusalem, right? Um, Jerusalem is uh, kind of, there's actually a lot of different, I'll try to look up like the etymology of Jerusalem. And there was like some different kind of ideas on what it was. Um, but one of the most common ones was um, the combination of Jaira and Salem, right? Jaira Salam, right, basically, Jerusalem. Um, basically a dwelling place of peace, um, or a city of peace, kind of. Um, and so that's where he's, his, his chosen land. In fact, he sent Abraham there when he was supposed to sacrifice his son, but then God had a substitute. Um, he built his temple there and eventually was crucified there as Jesus Christ, all at the same place. So Nehemiah is reminding God that he was in the right, right? God was in the right to scatter them. But then says that God gave them condition of the return, which is to be diligent to follow his commands. To try to follow his commands. Um, Nehemiah is actually saying, I'm ready, to, I'm ready to follow your commands. I'm ready to get back. I'm ready to go back and to follow you like we're supposed to be doing. That's the gist of what he's saying here. Uh, how many yours are there in verse 10? Five. Five, right? That's a lot, not a little verse. Um, so who is Nehemiah trusting in to restore Jerusalem? God. Your, right? God, right? <laughs> Nehemiah trusts in God to restore Jerusalem. He's not like, I'm going to go there, I'm going to do it, right? He's like, no, your people, it's your land. Um, 
praises God for his good faithfulness. He admits Israel's sin, says that God was in the right to scatter them. He reminds God that God said if Israel is faithful to return to him, then God promised to restore them to the land. They are God's servants, God's people, whom God redeemed by God's great power and God's strong hand. So he's trusting in God for this to happen. That's pretty clear here. The theme we have of Nehemiah, as we're going to look through this, is trust and diligence. You can see it down here um, on every slide. But trust and diligence. And we're going to see that Nehemiah is trusting God for this whole process of rebuilding Jerusalem. But also he's diligent to do the work. And we're going to see, as we keep going this morning, kind of the work he's ready to do. Because um, finally we get to the request portion of the prayer. It's one verse. O Lord, I beseech you that your ear may be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to revere your name and make your servant successful today and grant him compassion before this man. Now, I was the cupbearer to the king. So he says, God, we're the servants. We want to revere your name. We want to be there and to be serving you. Um, who is this man he's going to be in the presence of? You know, just a king of this entire huge kingdom, right? He's just this man. Whose servant does Nehemiah say he is? God's, right? He has the right mentality about who's who. Right? He knows that this king, Artaxerxes, he's just a man, just like any other man. But he also knows that God's able to use that man to restore Jerusalem. Proverbs 21.1 says this, The king's heart is like channels of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it whichever way he wishes or wherever he wishes. So Nehemiah has the right view of this powerful man he serves. He's just a man. And God is greater. He serves God ultimately. So Nehemiah is a cupbearer. What does it mean to be a cupbearer again? It means the king is to be poisoned. Yeah, right. Like, oh, wine for the king. Great. I didn't die. Here you go. (laughs) That's what you do. That's how it started out. But then the further and further along in history you go, it became more the cupbearer was actually like the king's most trusted advisor. Right? He was right there at the king's kind of second-hand man almost, sitting there always in the presence of the king, always there and talking to him and those sorts of things. And so Nima is actually at a pretty high level in the kingdom, right? pretty high level under Artaxerxes. Uh, I move on from his prayer to him before King Artaxerxes. Look at verse 1, chapter 2. And it came about the month of Nisan, the 20th year of the king Artaxerxes, that wine was before him, and I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now, I have not been sad in his presence. Now, wait a second. What month did Hananiah give Nehemiah the bad news? The month of Chislev, right? Which was November, right? November, December-ish, right? Chapter 2, we're in the month of Nisan, right? Like, Hyundai, 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 right? Um, no, but um, what is happening? What is the month of Nisan? What is that? It's four months later. You can barely read that. It's so sad. Several months later. Um, four months later. Man, we need a new projector. Look how great this looks on here. And then just like, not at all. Okay. Um, it took four months. He's been praying about this issue for four entire months. That's a long time. That's like a whole semester. Right? He obviously feels very strongly about this. He sat down. He wept for days on end. He's been praying and fasting for God. And he says he's still sad after four months. It's the 20th year still overall of um, the rain. So it's this March-April region of, of, the, of the seasonal year that we would have now. Um, God gave him information and a drive to do something for Jerusalem. And then God had him wait for four months before Nehemiah could do anything. That's a long time. 
what do we do in our time of waiting? Uh, if we have something that we feel like we want to do, maybe God wants us to do, do we force it to happen? Do we make sure it's going to happen no matter what? Um, do we make things happen before God opens the door? Are we patient? Or do we trust God that he'll make a way for his will to be done in our lives? Sometimes, I don't know, for me, I can be too impatient about those sorts of things. I'm like, this is a good idea. We should do this. Let's do it now. And it's like, three months later, I'm like, actually, now would have been a good time to do this because it's actually like a fruitful time to do that or something. Um, so Nehemiah was patient and also allowed him to know that this wasn't just some phase, right? Not like a church camp high um, that he had, but he was really feeling called to help Jerusalem. Let's apply that in our own lives whenever we're called to do something. Because prayer needs to be at the center of all of our decisions in our lives. We run the risk of not making the best or the wisest choices when we neglect God in our decisions. Let's go to him for our decisions. Okay, this has been four months. It's March, April-ish. The king is like, why are you sad? Verse 2. The king said to me, why is your face sad though you are not sick? This is nothing but sadness of heart. Then I was very much afraid. I said to the king, let the king live forever. Why should my face not be sad when the city, the place of my father's tombs, lies desolate and its gates have been consumed by fire? The king said to me, what would you request? So I prayed to the God of heaven. So imagine being in front of the king, and you serve basically almost a second in command, right? Your most trusted advisor. And he's like, why are you always looking so sad? You're not even sick, right? This is just sadness of heart. And you're like, oh, no. I'm supposed to be happy. Oh, my gosh. Um, I'm supposed to be joyful in his presence. Whoops. Nehemiah is afraid, right? You might be afraid as well in the same position. And he says, how can I not be sad when the place of my people lies in ruins? And the king does something incredible. He says, what would you request? Literally, what do you want? So Nehemiah prays to God about it. How long has Nehemiah known about this issue, Jerusalem? Four months. Do you think he probably already had an answer ready to go for the king as soon as the king asked? Probably. He's probably thinking, I can do this. If the king, if the king can give me this, I had this, this, and this. Oh, it would be great. I could do so well. But the first thing he does still is pray to God. He still turns to God and he trusts God to provide him with the words to say because Nehemiah knows that God's plan is better than whatever he would come up with. Nehemiah may have been scheming about these things, but he knows that God ultimately has the best answer. Finally, we have Nehemiah's request. I said to the king, If it please the king, and if your servant has found favor before you, send me to Judah, to the city of my father's tombs, that I may rebuild it. <coughs> the king said to me, the queen sitting beside him, how long will your journey be? When will you return? So it pleased the king to send me, and I gave him a definite time. I said to the king, If it pleased the king, let letters be given to me for the governors of the provinces beyond the river. I may allow me to pass through till I come to Judah, and a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make the beams for the gates of the fortress, which is by the temple, for the wall of the city, and for the house to which I will go. King granted them to me because the good hand of my God was on me. Then I came to the governors of the provinces beyond the river and gave them the king's letters. Now the king had set um, with me officers in the army of horsemen. Here's his request. Right? Send me Jerusalem to Judah to Jerusalem. Give me a long time to be there. Uh, give me letters to travel without any issues. People will just like, let me go because the king has signed this letter saying, hey, he needs to go to Judah. And then give me free lumber. Right? <laughs> give me a letter for, the, for Asaph who's in charge of the forest and just like, Give me wood so I can actually build this kingdom. You might ask, why in the world would the king want to rebuild Jerusalem? Well, who's over Jerusalem? The king, right? It's one of his cities that he's ruling over. And so it's like, it kind of makes sense. That's like, okay, you want to rebuild this city. That's a kind of a reproach right now. It's one of my cities. You're one of our trusted people. Yeah, go do it, right? 
Um, all these things were given to Nehemiah. Why? What does it say? Because the good hand of God was on him. I mentioned this verse offhandedly last week because it just kind of seemed to apply in the moment. But I think it actually applies to the whole book. Look at Psalm 127.1. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchmen keep awake in vain. Um, God's hand was on this. And God was with Nehemiah right, as this was going on. It wasn't just him doing it. He trusted in God to do this. So here's the biggest things we've seen to Nehemiah so far today. I'm really trying to get through this because we had a little bit of delay. Um, one, he trusts God with the issue of rebuilding Jerusalem. Right? He just he trusts God. He's not, he's not relying on himself to do that. He spends four months praying for God to give him an opportunity, and then God does. Secondly, he's diligent to do the work as soon as God opens the door. God's, the king is like, what do you want? He's like, pray to God. Okay, cool. This, this, and this. And I'll go do it. I'll do this thing. I'll, and he's like ready to go as soon as there's an opportunity. He has plans set forth to make this project a reality. Now, look at the last verse of the day, verse 10. When Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official heard about it, it was very displeasing to them that someone had come to seek the welfare of the sons of Israel. Who were these people? Sanballat and Tobiah? Um, what do they have against the welfare of Israel? Where are they from, right? What are these things? Well, We'll get into that in the coming weeks. Um, but these men are going to be a big problem for Nehemiah as he's trying to rebuild the wall. They're going to be against everything that he's doing. And how is Nehemiah going to respond to that? The truth is, when we're doing God's will, there are going to be people who don't like it. Right? When we share the gospel like we're supposed to do, like the Bible says to do, then people will not like us doing that. Right? When we laugh at jokes, we don't laugh at other jokes that other people do laugh at, maybe inappropriate at someone else's expense. People get upset. They're like, why aren't you laughing, right? When we choose ministry instead of sin, some people can get upset and maybe make fun of us. Right? We need to understand that pleasing God is our primary goal in this life. 2 Corinthians 5.9 says, Therefore we have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, or with God or not with Him, to be pleasing to Him. Galatians 1.10 says, For am I not seeking the favor of man or of God? Or am I striving to please man? If I was still trying to please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. So we will have people who make fun of us or, or um, don't like it whenever we're seeking Christ. But that's the only thing that matters in the long run. So focus on the eternal, not the temporary troubles of people against us in the world. Okay, finally some applications. We'll be done. First of all, trust God with his plans. Um, he will always do what he has promised. And we should know his promises. So study the word. Right? Look at the word. Study the word. You can know his promises and he will keep his promises also he has a ministry for you to fill trust him in your waiting right? if you're like I know that once I graduate I want to do this it's like okay cool are you graduated no okay then be praying right trust him in your waiting second be diligent to serve when you have the opportunity right um, he has a ministry for you to fill what um, serve him now wherever you're at if you're waiting for something to happen in the future you're here for a purpose. You're here for a reason, and that's to serve God, to glorify Him. So serve Him now in whatever areas you're able to, um, just like Nehemiah did. He trusted God, and he was diligent to have a plan ready to go whenever he needed, he was able to. Okay, let's pray. 
God, uh, we thank you so much for this morning. We thank you for the ability to still have this lesson.